Part One, Chapter Twenty Six of Anna Karenina, read for LibriVox.org by Kirsten Ferreri. In the morning, Konstantin Levin left Moscow, and towards evening he reached home. On the journey in the train, he talked to his neighbors about politics and the new railways, and just as in Moscow he was overcome by a sense of confusion of ideas, dissatisfaction with himself, shame of something or other. But when he got out at his own station, when he saw his one-eyed coachman Ignat with the collar of his coat turned up, when in the dim light reflected by the station fires he saw his own sledge, his own horses, with their tails tied up, in their harness trimmed with rings and tassels, when the coachman Ignat, as he put in his luggage, told him that the village news, the contractor had arrived, and that Pava had calved, he felt little by little the confusion was clearing up, and the shame and self-dissatisfaction were passing away. He felt this at the mere sight of Ignat and the horses. But when he had put on the sheepskin brought for him, had sat down wrapped up in the sledge, and had driven off pondering on the work that lay before him in the village and staring at the side-horse that had been his saddle-horse, past his prime now, but a spirited beast from the dawn, he began to see what had happened to him in quite a different light. He felt himself, and did not want to be anyone else. All he wanted now was to be better than before. In the first place he resolved that from that day he would give up hoping for any extraordinary happiness, such as marriage must have given him, and consequently he would not so disdain what he really had. Secondly, he would never again let himself give way to low passion, the memory of which had so tortured him when he had been making up his mind to make an offer. Then, remembering his brother Nikolai, he resolved to himself that he would never allow himself to forget him, that he would follow him up, and not lose sight of him, so as to be ready to help when things should go ill with him. And that would be soon, he felt. Then, too, his brother's talk of communism, which he treated so lightly at the time, now made him think. He considered a revolution in economic conditions nonsense, but he always felt the injustice of his own abundance in comparison with the poverty of the peasants, and now he determined that, so as to feel quite in the right, though he had worked hard and lived by no means luxuriously before, he would now work still harder, and would allow himself even less luxury. And all this seemed to him so easy a conquest over himself that he spent the whole drive in the pleasantest daydreams. With a resolute feeling of hope in a new, better life, he reached home before nine o'clock at night. The snow of the little quadrangle before the house was lit up by a light in the bedroom windows of his old nurse, Agafea Mihailovna, who performed the duties of housekeeper in his house. She was not yet asleep. Kozma, waked up by her, came sidling sleepily out onto the steps. A setter-bitch, Laska, ran out too, almost upsetting Kosma, and whining turned round about Levine's knees, jumping up and longing but not daring to put her forepaws on his chest. "'You're soon back again, sir,' said Agafea Milovna. "'I get tired of it, Agafea Milovna. With friends one is well, but at home one is better,' he answered, and went into his study. The study was slowly lit up as the candle was brought in. The familiar details came out the stag's horns, the bookshelves, the looking-glass, the stove with its ventilator, which had long wanted mending, his father's sofa, a large table, on the table an open book, a broken ash-tray, a manuscript book with his handwriting. As he saw all of this there came over him, for an instant, a doubt of the possibility of arranging the new life, of which he had been dreaming on the road. All these traces of his life seemed to clutch him, and to say to him, "'No, you're not going to get away from us, and you're not going to be different, but you're going to be the same as you've always been, with doubts, everlasting dissatisfaction with yourself, vain efforts to amend, and falls, and everlasting expectation of a happiness which you won't get, and which isn't possible for you.' This the thing said to him, but another voice in his heart was telling him that he must not fall under the sway of the past, and that one can do anything with oneself 
and hearing that voice, he went into the corner where stood his two heavy dumbbells, and began brandishing them like a gymnast, trying to restore his confident temper. There was a creak of steps at the door. He hastily put down the dumbbells. The bailiff came in, and said everything, thank God, was doing well, but informed him that the buckwheat in the new drying-machine had been a little scorched. This piece of news irritated Levine. The new drying-machine had been constructed and partly invented by Levine. The bailiff had always been against the drying-machine, and now it was with suppressed triumph that he announced that the buckwheat had been scorched. Levine was firmly convinced that if the buckwheat had been scorched it was only because precautions had not been taken for which he had hundreds of times given orders. He was annoyed and reprimanded the bailiff. But there had been an important and joyful event. Pava, his best cow, an expensive beast bought at a show, had capped. "'Kosma, give me my sheepskin, and you tell him to take a lantern. I'll come and look at her,' he said to the bailiff. The cow-house for the more valuable cows was just behind the house. Walking across the yard, passing a snowdrift by the lilac tree, he went into the cow-house. There was the warm, steamy smell of dung when the frozen door was opened, and the cows, astonished at the unfamiliar light of the lantern, stirred on the fresh straw. He caught a glimpse of the broad, smooth, black and piebald back of Holantka. Berkut, the bull, was lying down with his ring in his lip, and seemed about to get up, but thought better of it, and only gave two snorts as they passed by him. Pava, a perfect beauty, huge as a hippopotamus, with her back turned to them, prevented their seeing the calf, as she sniffed her all over. Levine went into the pen, looked Pava over, and lifted the red and spotted calf onto her long, tottering legs. Pava, uneasy, began lowing. But when Levine put the calf close to her she was soothed, and sighing heavily began licking her with her rough tongue. The calf, fumbling, poked her nose under her mother's udder, and stiffened her tail out straight. "'Here, bring the light, Fyodor, this way,' said Levine, examining the calf. "'Like the mother, though the colour takes after the father, but that's nothing. Very good. Long and broad in the haunch. "'Vasily Fedorovitch, isn't she splendid?' he said to the bailiff, quite forgiving him for the buckwheat under the influence of his delight in the calf. "'How could she fail to be? Oh, Semyon the contractor came the day after you left. "'You must settle with him, Konstantin Dmitrievich,' said the bailiff. "'I did inform you about the machine.' This question was enough to take Levin back to all the details of his work on the estate, which was on a large scale and complicated. He went straight from the cow-house to the counting-house, and after a little conversation with the bailiff and Semyon the contractor, he went back to the house and straight upstairs to the drawing-room. End of chapter 26 this recording is in the public domain.